God, I'm so drunk I can't even feel my lips anymore. Welcome back to Quaid in Full, the podcast with all the fox to give about actor Dennis Quaid. I'm your host, Sarah D. Bunting, and I'm reading and reviewing every single audiovisual property in which Dennis Quaid has ever appeared. In today's episode, patterns emerge, including this one. Dennis Quaid's first three credited projects were all 1970s pictures set in the 1950s. I'll be wrapping up that accidental trilogy today with Richard Thomas Starrer, September 30th, 1955. You may have clocked that date as the date of James Dean's death. Then again, you may not have. I myself would not have. I don't feel entirely comfortable saying that I've never understood what the big deal is about James Dean when I haven't seen any of his films in their entirety, but the tiresome squawky clips from Rebel Without a Cause that seem to come up on every Oscars broadcast, there's not a burning desire to learn more for me. Perhaps that's short-sighted of me. Perhaps I've let some of the more performative myth-making and grieving of Dean's unrealized potential get in the way of meeting his work on its own terms. But that sort of look-at-me distress over Dean's demise and absence is the entire point of September 30th, 1955. Richard John Boy Walton Thomas plays Jimmy J, an Arkansas college student and football star. Maybe? He's on the team at any rate. Jimmy is torn between the big man on campus part of his life, complete with homecoming queen girlfriend, and the alienation he feels as a fatherless boy with capital F feelings. The movies give Jimmy a place to go with those emotions, and he's adopted East of Eden, and the ending in particular, as a manual for living, enabled by his once and future girlfriend, Billie Jean, whose melodramatic proto-goth humorlessness is relatably familiar, if more annoying than the script seems to realize. This is the central problem with September 30th. Director James Bridges, best known for The Paper Chase and The China Syndrome, as well as John Travolta aerobics rom-dramedy and legendary bomb Perfect, feels an evident tenderness towards the histrionics that Dean's death touches off in Jimmy J and Billie Jean. One suspects that Jimmy J is Bridges to no small degree, and certainly Bridges is not unaware that Jimmy and Billie Jean's fervor is at best opaque to their friends and at worst stubbornly off-putting. Actor James Dean meets death in automobile crash. A lot of people say he was just an imitation Marlon Brando. A lot of people are jealous and full of shit, Pat. Pat, Jimmy's teammate Frank's girlfriend, has Jimmy's too much number from the start of this lost afternoon, which Jimmy is trying to turn into a sincere memorial to his lost idol, while Pat and Frank are mostly using it as an excuse to get drunk and play grab ass, which, given that Frank is played by one Dennis Quaid, seems like the best route. But the writing's compassion for the gusty passions of youth does not quite extend to having enough distance from them to tease them. In the next clip, Tom Hulse's Hanley takes up for Jimmy as a wasted Jimmy strips to his tidy whities and starts daubing himself with riverbed mud. I think he's turning himself into one of those mud natives we saw in the National Geographic. Has to do with funerals and grief. He's just doing it to be different. That's Pat again, and I think the film wants us to think she's mean and narrow-minded. And she is, but she's not wrong. I think you're sick. 
and I think you're affected, and I think you're weird, and I think Charlotte ought to have her head examined for going with you. And I think exactly the same thing. You got that? Ditto, you got that? We got it, movie. Nobody understands Jimmy and what he's going through, except Billie Jean, who ends up bedridden and near catatonic after their escalatingly theatrical homage of rebellious self-destruction culminates in an accident, by which I mean Billie Jean sets her cheap gothy cloak on fire in a graveyard after a slapsticky sequence that sees various characters falling into open graves, while the score, by Leonard Rosenman, who also worked on East of Eden and Rebel Without a Cause, not for nothing, can't decide on an emotion, except that it's a big one. September 30th can't always decide how to feel about its characters, just that it feels, and feels a lot. Vincent Canby, reviewing the movie for the New York Times, compared it to the paper chase, and not unkindly sighed that, quote, Like the earlier film, it lacks the edge of satire that can make the difference between a good film and a great one, between a film that is somehow enthralled to its sentiments instead of being in charge of them, end quote. Yeah, word. If it could just mock its protagonists a little bit, ever so gently, instead of basically writing an unwitting pre-indictment of internet fandoms in their unwavering devotion, it might work. There are some nice bits here, like Susan Tyrell as Billie Jean's mother. Tyrell also was in I Never Promised You a Rose Garden, another pattern here, is actors Quaid has worked with before or will again, as his roles start to become roles versus any guy in cutoffs will do. Tyrell realistically veers between permissive indulgence of her weirdo kid's drama and itchy frustration with that drama's utter lack of a sense of humor. There's also a tonally off but well-executed sequence involving a guy hiding in a closet with a bottle of gin, unbeknownst to Jimmy, who's trying to get dressed out of that closet while the football coach is lecturing him. And Dennis Christopher, Quaid's future co-star in Breaking Away, is adorably excellent as cow-licked tagalong Eugene. But Lisa Blount, who will also show up again on this podcast at Great Balls of Fire, doesn't do much to make Billie Jean likable or Jimmy's attraction to her explicable. And if you think the first five minutes and their hand-holding summary of the key emotional beats of East of Eden are interminable, wait until the last literal quarter of the movie, with Jimmy staring or speeching at various women in his life, recapping Rebel Without a Cause breaking a bunch of mirrors, all symbolic-like, and finally leaving town on his James Dean-esque motorcycle to start a new life in California. Did I not mention that the accent work is unable to stick a landing in Arkansas and condescending to boot? September 30th, 1955 is a basically sweet feature that would have worked better as a short, would have worked better still if it had had a more gimlet eye for its character's sincere but still affected grasping for meaning. And, if I'm being honest, best of all, if it had put Dennis Christopher in the lead instead. Richard Thomas is good, under the cirques, but he looks 30, and his line readings are a little expected. Don't regret seeing this one, but can't recommend it. Four. And what of this podcast's patron saint... How are his line readings in this, the first part in which he's a real character and not just a seat filler? He's fine. Not a whole lot is asked of him, and he doesn't reinvent any wheels. 
Freddie Chipster isn't Quaid's exact lane, but it's hardly on the other side of the state. It is somewhat disconcerting to see him in a sweater vest and saddle shoes, but it is not unpleasant. And he meets his foxy grin quota nicely with limited screen time. And there's also this during a hooch induced makeout sesh. <laughs> and that, ladies and germs, is how you rest a four and a half from the jaws, as it were, of a project in which you're not even the best dentist in the room. Next time, it's the most expensive episode of a deliberately forgotten by history 70s cop show in this room or any other. That's right, it's the platinum-plated fourth season Beretta episode starring Quaid and Barry Miller, a.k.a. the guy who falls off the Verrazano in Saturday Night Fever, as sex workers. And for the first time, I'll be joined by a guest, Paley Center New York curator and Quaid in full acquisitions liaison David Bushman. And that's the name of that tune. In the meantime, check out the show notes for links to the movie, to Canby's full review, and more. And follow the podcast on Twitter at QuaidInFullPod to let me know how you'd rate the film or which James Dean projects to watch instead. And if you're wondering when your favorite Quaid joint is getting covered or want to advertise on a specific film or TV show's episode, DMs are open. Quaid in Full is written, edited, and hosted by me, Sarah D. Bunting. Don't subscribe yet? I think you're sick. Just kidding, but it is more convenient for y'all, so head to wherever you get your podcasts and sign up, and rate and review Quaid in Full so other people can find it. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next time. Ha, 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 ha.